A, uh, as I said, does come from Acts. It's uh, chapter 4, verses 32, through to chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, So once again, that's Acts, starting at chapter 4, verse 32, and we're reading through to chapter 5, verse 16, if you'd like to turn to your uh, Bibles. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all those who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Amen. Dave's going to come and speak to us now. Thanks, Dave. Evening. Uh, on your outlines, uh, you would have received on the way in, there, there is a sermon outline there, if, if, if that's going to help you sort of follow along. 
Um, and if you have a writing implement, you can take notes if you wish. Uh, we, we provided the paper. We didn't provide any pens or, or, uh, or pencils. So um, we'll, we'll get on that next time. Uh, as we begin, let me pray. Uh, there, let me pray for us. Father God, may your word dwell in us uh, this evening and this week and bear much fruit for your glory. Amen. Okay, this evening we continue our journey through the book of Acts, and we're up to part five of our series, uh, The Message and the Messenger. And what we've witnessed so far has been absolutely remarkable. In a matter of, of weeks, the small group of confused uh, and uh, you could say uh, depressed and timid disciples had become uh, a large group of articulate and spirit-filled and bold believers. Last week, actually, we read that there were now 5,000 believers in Jerusalem alone. The church was growing in numbers. It was growing in boldness, and it was growing in maturity. The Spirit was radically transforming the lives of ordinary men and women, leading them to extraordinary boldness in Acts chapter 4, and now in Acts chapter 5, to extraordinary generosity. It's a very exhilarating moment uh, in the life of the church. Luke writes this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now you might be thinking that this looks like the perfect church, right? In fact, you might be thinking, it looks like a pretty easy church to be a part of. You might think that, right? If it wasn't for this evening's passage. Uh, it would be much simpler, wouldn't it, if Luke had simply skipped this entire episode, if he'd skipped everything from chapter 4, verse 37, through to chapter 5, verse 12, okay? And if he had, if he had skipped this episode, this is how it would have read. It would have read like this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, and the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. It's a seamless transition, isn't it? So why does Luke include this rather awkward episode of the church's history? Especially as the church is really beginning to, to pick up momentum, as God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Well, what we get with this episode are two case studies, right? On the one hand, Barnabas, and on the other, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And what we learn is that not only as Christians do we receive God's grace, but by his Holy Spirit it should transform us from the inside out. So our first case study is actually pretty sim simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, Joseph, also called Barnabas, I'm going to refer to him as Barnabas, um, by the apostles, sells a field he owns and brings the money and lays it at the apostles' feet. Can you imagine if this occurred today right? in this church? Radical generosity among ordinary people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It does happen actually occasionally that someone might leave uh, a property 
to the church in their wills. Um, I've been to church that, that that's happened. Or maybe someone leaves a significant, part, uh, significant amount of money in their wills um, to the church. And I think we should honestly consider that. But this actually happens during Barnabas' lifetime. This is an extraordinary act of generosity. And although Barnabas will actually return later on in Acts as one of Paul's sort of key travelling companions, this is all we read of him here. Here we simply see the, the outward fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit, who was at work in Barnabas, helping him grasp the true value of Jesus above everything and anyone else. Our second case study is that of a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, it appeared that they'd done exactly what Barnabas had done, right? They were generous. You note the similarities between the two scenes, okay? They both sold property. They both laid the money at the apostles' feet. And both acts of generosity were actually voluntary. No one was forcing anyone to do anything here. Peter actually says to Ananias in verse 4, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? It's a rhetorical question. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? The answer is yes. But there's one key difference. This couple conspired to be generous. They wanted to be thought of as generous. We read in verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he, the son of nice, kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And later we learn in Sophia's testimony that they had hoped that everyone believed that in fact they had given all the money to the church, or to the apostles in this case. This is a significant moment, actually, in the life of the early church. Could such deceit be allowed to characterise and motivate this new spirit-filled community of God's people? Would God be party to such duplicity? Could, could something like this actually be allowed to happen? Peter uh, becomes aware of this conspiracy, right? We don't know how he knew, but he knew. God may have revealed it to him. It may have been public knowledge on sort of the first century's um, equivalent of realestate.com. But uh, here Peter asks, how can you do this? Verse 3. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And by the way, the fact that Satan is sort of behind the scenes here, lurking behind the scenes, doesn't actually exonerate them. But it does show that Satan is actually very interested in the life of the church. He's very interested in undermining it and destabilising it. He will do everything and anything. But it is the heart, it is your heart that he wants. And so long as it isn't with Jesus, it is with him. Peter asks, what made you, th what, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And of course... Three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, uh, suffers the same fate after maintaining this lie. And in both cases, great fear seized, uh, seized the church, seized all those who heard about it. God takes sin extremely seriously, right? Deadly seriously, and sees and knows all. But I want to ask, why? Why? 
Why did they do this? Why did Ananias and Sapphira do it? Was it greed? I don't think so. They actually had given a lot of money. That's not what greedy people do. Here, there was something, there was something here that was far more important than money. What was it? It was the approval of others. They wanted to be thought of as generous people. They saw the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of others, and particularly in this case, the life of Barnabas, and they wanted to appear just as godly, just as generous. They wanted to appear more generous than actually what they could bring themselves to be. They were, in a sense, uh, faking or overstating the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, all for the sake of seeking and winning the approval of others. You see, ironically, the church can actually be a very spiritually dangerous place to be. There's something about the community at a church and the culture in and around churches that is very attractive, where those who are least are exalted and those who are last are admired. And in that context, it's all too tempting to fake or overstate our lowliness or our godliness all for the sake of seeking and winning the approval of others. Can you see how that works? Uh, there's an old British comedy, and some of, some of the younger ones among us, this was before our time, um, but many of you will appreciate uh, this comedy, Keeping Up Appearances, um, where this lady, Hyacinth Bucket, pronounced bouquet, if you please, um, lives to impress... And she has no patience for people who pretend to be superior because that makes it, quote, so much more harder for those of us who really are. Assured of her own eminence, she spends her days trying to make sure that everyone else is too. In an odd and disturbing way, can we recognise that same basic posture in ourselves? Can I say that you are not immune to this? Pastors are not immune to this. Don't you want people at church to think well of you? To admire you? The truth is, our motives are often mixed. And when we boil it all down, we may even come to church. We may even give to church. We may even be involved in church for the sake of keeping up appearances, for the sake of seeking and winning the approval of others, whether that be your peers, whether that be your parents, whether that be your pastors. We, like Ananias and Sapphira, desire very much to be thought of very highly, even if that means doing something very lowly and self-sacrificial. It goes to show, doesn't it, that you can be in the right place. You can be at church. You can be a growth group. You can be at the right, in the right place at the right time. 9am on Sunday mornings, 5pm on Sunday afternoons. You can even be doing the right thing, but with the wrong heart. And if you're sitting there thinking, I know who needs to hear this. 
then the chances are then you actually are the person who needs to hear this first. In a few weeks, we're going to meet uh, Saul, who we know as Paul. He wrote uh, a lot of the New Testament. And his testimony is incredible. The Spirit changed him in ways, in, in unimaginable ways. But he gets this inner struggle that we have. He writes this in Romans. For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We all ought to think of ourselves with sober judgment and presumably be okay with the fact that others may think of ourselves with sober judgment. At the heart of this story lies Ananias and Sapphira's desire for approval and recognition and acceptance and praise. And part of our fallen nature is that we struggle to see the seriousness of this, of this sin, let alone our sin. For Ananias and Sapphira, not only was the approval of others more important than money, it was more important than Jesus. Even though Jesus loved them, and even though Jesus died for them to present them holy and blameless in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation, they're thinking, yeah, look, that's great. But what would be even greater is if other people admired us. Can you see the depth of their sin? Can you see the depth of our sin? Everyone trying to live a double life will be found out in the end, if not sooner. But can we say that the church is the safest place to be found out? Because the church is not for perfect people. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. It's for honest people. Ananias and Sapphira were punished for their deception, not their imperfection. If they had gone to the apostles and if they would confessed the deepest desires of their heart, if they would confessed this real struggle within them, what do you think the apostles would have done or said? Well, the apostle John, who probably was in the room, writes this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. To keep up appearances is to hide the reality of your heart. But you don't need to hide the reality of your heart. We don't need to deceive one another. We don't need to seek the approval of others because God has approved of you in Jesus. Don't get me wrong. God will not leave you where he found you. He he wants to conform you. He wants to transform you, not to your expectations, not to the expectations of others, but he wants to transform you by his indwelling Holy Spirit to the image of his Son. We can be an honest community, right, who recognise and confess the sin in our lives and we can also celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives whose work is to help us grasp the true value of Jesus above anything or anyone else. You see, Jesus didn't die in order to make him the second most important thing in your life, second to your job or your career or your education or your lifestyle or your friends or your kids or your grandkids. Jesus didn't die in order to make him the second most important thing in your life. So allow the Spirit to fill every nook and cranny of your life, including your deepest motives and your darkest thoughts. In just a few minutes, um, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And you know what? It's worth celebrating. Because as we do, we remember that it is not by your body or by your blood that you were made acceptable before God. It is by the body and blood of Jesus. Let me finish with uh, some more words of Paul, who's really got his finger on the pulse here again. He writes in 1 Timothy 15 through 17. 1, chapter 1, 15 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we pray that your Holy Spirit might fill every nook and cranny of our lives down to our deepest, darkest motives and our deepest, darkest thoughts. Father, we thank you that we can be honest with ourselves and we can be honest with each other because of what Jesus has done for us. We needn't seek, seek the approval of others 
because you have approved of us as we put our trust in Jesus. Father, we thank you for this. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave.